Hello there. Welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. And I am Laura Camacho. Today, you're going to hear episode with Don Colliver, who is going to talk to us about engagement and humor. So that's a really good topic. I love humor. I have learned to go from serious college professor to reasonably entertaining communications coach and teacher or executive coach or webinar giver, you know, just passing on the knowledge. But before I bring Dawn on, I wanted to share a couple of thoughts with you. First of all, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're always glad to have new people here. This The purpose of this podcast is to give you tips that are practical, different viewpoints about being more effective at work. Generally speaking, we talk to people who will help you as the highly conscientious high performer, you know, make it to the next step in your career, get more visibility. That's a big topic that I'm dealing with these days. I'm teaching a class in that, but I think the class will be over by the time you hear about that. But as you know, it's a lot of your success at work is is the way people speak about you or what they know about you or how much they hear about you rather than just the work you do. And so that is why I've been working in as a communication coach for a long time, because I saw that the more thoughtful people, including myself, were often overlooked in favor of more talkative people. And maybe you've seen that. Before I go on, I want to mention the sponsor of this podcast, which is my book that's called The Practical Guide to Effective Communication, which may not sound like a page turner, but it is. It, it's uh, it's actually is a guidebook. It is truly a guidebook. It, there's chapters. You just Think of it as a collection of guides to public speaking, building your network, uh, preparing for difficult conversations, knowing what your default communication style is, incorporating emotional intelligence, but it's all about helping you communicate more effectively in order to get recognition for the value that you already contribute. So I wrote that book. The Practical Guide to Effective Communication, and you can find it on Amazon. So our guest, by the way, has written a different book that we're going to talk about, about related to humor. So I want to read to you a quote from Adam Grant. It's, he says the same thing that I say, but people, a lot more people listen to Adam Grant than they do to Laura Camacho. And Adam Grant says, we pay too much attention to the most confident voices and too little attention to the most thoughtful ones. Certainty is not a sign of credibility. Speaking assertively is not a substitute for thinking deeply. It's better to learn from complex thinkers than from smooth talkers. How about that? I thought that was really well stated. And he says thoughtful people, you can insert, you know, somewhat introverted. It's not that you have to be a hermit for heaven's sakes to be considered an introvert. An introvert is someone who thinks, who is thoughtful, who doesn't have, you know, that gift of the gab for just talking your head off like a lot of people do. And, you know, in the end of the day, a lot of times those People who talk more are just more well-known in a company. And it doesn't really matter at the individual contributor level 
some of the time anyway, team lead, manager, even senior manager. But boy, once you want to go to director or above, it's who you know and who knows you really. And that is the visibility question. And, and that comes to the communication and to the speaking up in meetings. And that is what this podcast is about in general. And today we're going to talk about humor, because even though you're a complex thinker, it doesn't mean you have to be super freaking serious all the time. And for heaven's sakes, you don't want to be boring. So really the trick is to be memorable and to give a give your complex or not complex message in a way that people can relate to it and they can remember it. And humor is a great tool. I often say that a relaxed audience is more receptive. So I want to tell you a little bit about our guest and we'll bring him on and talk about humor. So Don Colliver, he is a, you know, a speaker. He talks to Fortune 500 companies. He coaches very smart people and he works all around engagement and making public speaking better about being not being perfect. He actually did some clown training. I kid you not. He trained to be a clown. So we're going to find out about that. He had studied at the Berkeley Repertory School of Theater, which a lot of communication coaches have. I have not. He's even listed in the Cirque du Soleil performer database. So he's a very interesting person, I think. I was excited. I get so many people that want to be on this podcast, and now I'm having to turn down most of them. But he really stood out to me. So I think you're going to enjoy talking to, or not, you don't get to talk to him, but I want you to pretend that we're all in the same room, drinking coffee and having a great time as we talk about humor and engaging audiences and how to be a more effective communicator. Well, Don, welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. We're excited to have you here. I'm excited for my audience. I know they're going to enjoy listening to our conversation as we learn about engaging audiences and using humor. So tell us about yourself. Laura, thank you so much for having me. And it's great to be speaking with your listeners here. Yeah, a little bit about myself. I currently teach public speaking internally at Google and then independently for other primarily tech companies. I'm also a professional speaker. I speak at trade shows primarily for cybersecurity companies. Like I do the pitches at the booth. So I kind of speak all day long in a hyper attention challenged environment. So I kind of have to put the rubber to the road all the time. But my background is uh, I was a television pr producer for a long time, but I was a clown also. I was a blue man, yeah. and then I toured uh, as a clown for a large company called Spiegel World through a North American tour as the host clown. And so I learned a lot about engagement in challenging situations, how to really engage with your audience. And I found that it actually really helped presentation and Specifically, it's helped my participants in my classes, certainly more introverted folks. I work with a lot of non-native speakers. And weirdly enough, my clown training is really helpful for them. So I have a question for you. So were you the class clown in high, in high school or middle school? I super wasn't. I super really? wasn't, Laura. Not at all. <laughs> I was super quiet, super nerdy. I was the guy 
playing around on my Apple IIe computer with the yeah. other two nerds in the back of the class. <laughs> great. Well, that yeah. is most of the people listening. <laughs> so that's, we're in great company. We're going to learn how to be funny, even if you're not funny. And why is it that humor can be such an effective tool? Of course, everybody's, I mean, not everybody, but there's a lot of fear around using humor fear that not being taken seriously and fear of offending people. So, you know, what is your take given as a professional clown and public speaker? Tell us what is your take on humor and its value? Well, first I want to validate that. Yes, it's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And it's a tool not to be used lightly in my classes. I say, don't write jokes. Just don't do it. It's not mm -hmm. worth it. If that's something you are interested in, great. Like you can do stand up or practice in class or Toastmasters or something like that. But jokes are, they can get you in trouble. And it's the safest thing to do. And you've probably heard this, your listeners have heard this, is make fun of yourself. You can always right. make fun of yourself, never make fun of your audience, never make fun of what they find important. And you never know what they find important, you know? So why even navigate into that? And even self-effacing humor can also become challenging because <laughs> a big thing I talk about in my book, by the way, I wrote a book called Wink, Transforming Public Speaking Through Clown Presence, is before you step on stage, it behooves everybody to take some time and work on building up the feeling that you're enough. You aren't stepping on in front of that to deliver that status report or something with a need for validation from that audience. If you come up there and need validation from them, you're kind of sunk out of the dock, if you will. And if you start, that's the danger of self-effacing humor. If it's coming with a need for validation and you're like, I'm such an idiot, I'm yeah. not. It's like <laughs> the audience is going to yes. be like, Ooh, I don't want any part of this. So, but that being said, but if you build up that uh, you are enough, it can be very powerful, like self-effacing mm -hmm. humor. I, there's a story when I first started training in clown, one of the initial exercises and actually the most challenging exercises is called save the show. So I was in a class with this Cirque du Soleil teacher. He, he was in Los Angeles and the way it works is the class sits in the audience, teacher sits in the audience, and the teacher instructs the audience to do not give pity laughter, only laugh if it is truly funny. Okay. Because folks who've been in improv classes or beginning kind of comedy classes, there is like this tendency to laugh just because like, let's make them feel good. Let's laugh. Right. Support but is we, a way of trying to support the person. I guess. Yeah. But this has been taken off the table. Okay. And so the job is you get up on stage, you're behind the curtain, and you must make the audience laugh with no preparation. You just have to step out wow. and try all of your stuff. So it's built for failure. You can't do it. Like mm -hmm. people come up, you know, I get up, I'm pretending to trip. I don't know how to do a prat fall, mm -hmm. pretending to trip. I'm making fart jokes. I'm doing stuff. Silence, silence. I'm working, I'm sweating, I'm getting more tense. My shoulders are coming up, right? And then finally, I just stopped. I kind of felt where I was at. And I looked at the audience and I went, What do you guys want? And everybody laughed. Like at that moment, when I acknowledged what was going on in the room, I acknowledged right. it. 
it broke the tension and we became connected and the laugh came. And that was when I was like, oh, it's the connection. It's the engagement with the audience is the thing. And that kind of introduced me and got me hooked on this level of connection and presentation. I love that. Wow. A lot of people probably as you, you know, you and I have both worked with people who feel that sweat and the heart pounding went before certain is certain audiences usually. I mean, by the time you've been working for some years, you've given presentations and you're pretty good and you're fine. And most of the time, but there's always that executive audience or that potential investor or the executive board, you know, intimidating audiences. What What is your... Yeah, of course you have to prepare, but tell me like how how is the best way to prepare for an audience when you do feel out of your element? Sure. Well, from a nervousness and stage fright perspective, there's all the standard things, right? right. There's meditation, there's deep breathing. I always lead my classes in warm-ups before every class, mm-hmm. specifically diaphragm breathing. You can look that up, how to do that. Oh, yeah. And it kind of triggers a bunch of unconscious things that just start to relax you. But the thing that's worked best for me, because I've had to step out in front of a lot of somewhat intimidating groups, Mm -hmm. is it's more of a mindset shift. And this comes along with like what you said about preparation and focusing on that message. I've spent my time with the message and believing that I need to deliver this because these folks need to hear this. I'm being of service to my audience. Uh, I'm not looking for anything from them. I'm trying to give them something they don't have. Mm -hmm. And my job is to, what can I do to clear away anything that's blocking that? And that could be like, they may have questions. They may, which is fine if my goal is to be of service. That doesn't throw me because I'm like, oh, you've already heard A, B. Let me focus on CD. That's what you Mm -hmm. need to hear. Awesome. Mm -hmm, Uh, So mm -hmm. shifting from, uh, I hope they like me to, I want to be of service to this audience, I think can be really helpful. Yes, I I agree. I think that that people overlook that if they're being called to present is because they're they're the trusted advisor in some domain. Otherwise they wouldn't get the invitation, right? Nobody's being asked because they're good looking to present to a certain audience, at least not in exactly. business. So yeah, the to, to the point of view of service. Um, so what do you yeah, I want to say, oh, can yeah. I want to say one yeah. other thing about yeah, that? Because I know two, your listeners may get super like, oh my gosh, I hope I don't stumble or I hope mm-hmm, I, I mm-hmm. like I deal with this. I see this a lot with, um, I, I, I work with some of the smartest people in the world at Google mm-hmm. and they're all like four times as smart as me, like undoubtedly. And uh, some of these folks who are uh, uh, not super conversant in English are very, very nervous about grammar right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, there was a study done in 1966. And the guy codified something, he called it the pratfall effect. And this Mm -hmm. is a little complicated, I'll try and explain it. So he had two groups of speakers, right? Um, One group of speakers was considered incompetent speakers, they didn't prepare, they were stumbling around, their papers were all messed up. Then the other group were called competent speakers. They had rehearsed properly. They they had their nonverbals together. They they were they knew their message backwards and forwards. Uh, then they had both of these groups 
uh, present to a group, to an audience. And half of each group would have some kind of a hiccup. They would spill their coffee. So half of the incompetent speakers spilled their coffee, half of the competent speakers spilled their coffee. Now, when the competent speakers spilled their coffee, weirdly enough, the audience found them more likable than the competent speakers who were flawless. So the point is, if you have your prep done and you have a hiccup, you acknowledge it, your audience may even be more persuaded by your message. However, here's the caveat. The, the incompetent speakers who spilled their coffee, they just hated them. They're like, get <laughs> out of here. Like, no. So I guess the takeaway is prep hard, be ready, and then don't worry about it. Exactly. What is so funny to me is when people will, you know, practice with me or in a certain situation and they're just fine, comfortable. And then they, they, in another audience, they turn into robots, right? It's because of that uh, drive for perfection. And, and the, yeah, we, we, but nobody wants to hear a presentation from a robot. That is not interesting. It's being uh, authentic and being yourself. And, but I think the trick is to have that confidence that even if you're not perfect, you do have something of value to add to the conversation. Absolutely. And uh, I understand with the pratfall effect that when Jennifer Lawrence, who I guess everybody knows is a young actress or actor, and um, she stumbled on her way to receive an award. And apparently that made her popularity just blow up even more. So uh, it, it's interesting that because you relate more to that because everybody doesn't matter what even, you know, Elon Musk, President Biden. I mean, everybody's messed up at many, probably many times in their lives. And it's not about being perfect. It's about being effective. So what what do you think is necessary to engage an audience in your topic? Like, how do you, what do you think is, what are audiences, how, how can we get them not just listening, but really engaged in a topic? What do you think is the trick there? Oh man, this is my favorite topic, Laura. Yeah, because oh, this is this is what I learned from clown. Like the oh, reason I started studying clown was I was watching, I went to take a physical, I used to do improv comedy a lot. Mm -hmm. And I did a improv workshop with this guy and he was doing a scene, right? And, but he was up on the stage and when we would laugh or something would happen in the scene, he'd look at us in the audience and acknowledge us and then go back to the scene. And somehow it made it way more funny. Like it doesn't make sense, but it made it more funny. So I was like, and after I was like, what, what was that? And he goes, that was actually clown stuff, what I was doing. So uh, in terms of how to engage your audience, there was a study, another study, this was done in 2010. And it was a universe, it was in, in like a, uh, those big, um, like lecture halls that remember like freshman mm -hmm, biology mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with hundreds of students. And uh, the instructor tried different engagement techniques. And then all the students had dials of how engaged they were. And of course, as the lecture went on, engagement dwindled, but they found that 100% of the time, if the instructor would acknowledge something in an 
individual student was doing. And it doesn't mean in a punitive way, not in like, hey, pay attention, Bill. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, uh, Laura, you're really nodding. It sounds like you're following along. Simply acknowledging them immediately uh, re-engage the entire audience. So my first tip for engaging your audience in a talk would be simply be willing to peel your attention off of your deck or your memorized points and acknowledge something that's happening in the audience. Uh, this can be, uh, you know, a hand raise. Anybody else have an issue with this or... Uh, Laura, it sounds like you're you're following along. You don't have to open it up to a question, mm -hmm. in which case you may have to respond to it, but you can simply do a hand raise, yes or no, or it's, it feels like we're all like following along. Something to acknowledge them will re-engage your audience. Another thing you can do is you can make it present. And by that, I mean, you can snap them out. You had mentioned before, we don't want to be watching a robot. We don't mm -hmm. want to be watching a YouTube video. We're here in person. We're both here. Let's have some kind of interaction. And one way you can do to snap people out of there, like I'm watching a Netflix show right now mm -hmm. mentality, is you can have them do something. You can be like, can everybody just write down three things of blah, 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 or turn to page five of your handout. Or look outside. Everybody look outside right now. This works really well, I find, with um, virtual presentations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You can be like, hey, let's take a break. Everybody look out your window. Type in the weather right now. Type it in the chat. Just something to get them snapped out of their just like, I'm taking in information and have them actually paying attention. And then the last tip, uh, and this is, again, I'm not breaking any ground here, but tell a personal story can engage an audience too, especially if it feels like, oh my gosh, Laura's going off script. She's telling <laughs> us something, something only we get to hear. Um, that can be a way to really get your audience leaning in. Yeah, I, I love these. I, uh, the, the do something, not acknowledging your audience. I think that's why, you know, when these rock bands tour and they always say, hey, Charleston. Hey, Dallas. And I always thought that's so, why did they do that? But I think, don't you think that must, that's just their way of acknowledging that even though they have, they have their teleprompter that tells them where they are. They have no idea because they've been on tour for six months. Uh, it's, it's still, it's something that they feel like, oh yeah, he knows he, or she knows that. Yeah, Dallas. <laughs> yeah, yeah <So>. exactly. <laughs> like, so there's some form of that, but for a smaller audience, if you're in a stadium, you can just say hello to the city that you're in. I like this. Okay, so those of you who are writing these down, it's acknowledge something that's going on in the audience or in the room. Number two is to write something down or have them do something, look outside if you're a virtual, which I think is a great tip and say what the weather is and to tell us personal story. And I would say, you know, it would be nice if the personal story relates to the topic that you're uh, speaking <laughs> <Yeah>. of. <laughs> um, and I'll add number four, oh, always okay. start your Bonus. presentations with, uh, Hello, city name. <laughs> oh, wow. That's an original one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Start with hello, city name. Okay. There you go. Um, I, I like these and they're very practical. Uh, what about data driven? You know, I have, I think this is what I'm observing 
that we're all like in love with data, we're data driven, that we, you know, everything is data and that our machines are producing so much data that we're just drowning in it. And that the the top people, the people at the top of the organizations are looking to the people below them to filter it out and to give them recommendations based on their take of the data. But those people are a little, they see all, they see so much data, they see so much going on and they're hesitant to, to step out on a limb and make a recommendation based on the data because they could be wrong and it's a mega corp. And so what do you, what do you have to say about data and making those decisions? And I don't know, talk to me about your take on data presentations. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, I'm glad you asked because I'm actually working on that right as we speak. Uh, uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to a book called Storytelling with Data. Do you know this? Uh, with, I think her name is Nath. Boom, you got it. <laughs> yes. Uh, great book. Um, and there's some uh, awesome like five takeaways in there. But the main thing I took away is if you're presenting data, you have a duty to digest that data and find the message before you walk in and present it. Uh, I think she kind of classifies it as you've got your exploratory data of look at all this work we did. Isn't it impressive? And then your explanatory data that says like 25%, boom, this, we need to change this. So it take you need to look at what you've got, and this feels very esoteric to talk about without like slides and things. But um, it, it, I, you need to find the message in your data, and that comes down to what is the message you're trying to communicate in your presentation. Phrase it with a point of view. We need to do X, and mm -hmm. here and show the data in that way. And it can be tempting to make it really force what you're showing. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I think there's ways to point an arrow at the data you're trying to show without making it sneaky. Right. Does that right. make sense? Yes. Well, to me, the main takeaway for everybody listening and that has this issue, which is almost everybody, is that the data does not speak for itself. You cannot just present everything. And, and in fact, I was listening to this. I was talking to this guy this morning who is from Mexico, living in uh, Chile, Chile right now, working for an American company. And we were talking on the same topic because I like to find out what other people you know, think about things that, that are interesting to me. And he was saying, yeah, the tendency is to delegate upward. Like I'm going to present to all all this all these facts. You tell me what we should do, and the people mm. in the audience are like, "Well, actually, I want you to tell me what to do." That's your response. And there's kind of this conflict in some situations that because you know these companies, there there is a lot. There's always risk, and there and we thought data was going to be the answer to everything, and data tells us a lot, but it doesn't tell. I mean, people still have to interpret the data. Thank God that we, artificial intelligence hasn't figured out everything yet, right? So we still need the human element. So I just wondered, you know, I just wanted to ask you that. Um, and yes, the book is uh, storytelling with data, which I am reading right now, and I love, and it does talk about exploratory versus explanatory, and that. Um, 
I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. taking a point of view and it's scary, especially if you're that's in it. with executives. Yeah. Yes. Taking that. They may point disagree of view. with you. Yeah. Exactly. Or they, or they're, but I think even more than disagreement, like people are afraid, well, what if I'm wrong? Sure. Of course. And you could be, but if you have a good reason for being, I mean, people have been wrong. It happens every day in the best of families, right? You know, that, but I, I think a, a point of view supported by data, supported by experience, supported by your, by your logic and reason and everything that has brought you to where you are today has value. Sure. Even, even, I, even if somebody disagrees. Yeah, exactly. And this is all easy for me to say. I'm not the one standing there. Oh, I absolutely. totally get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally I get it. That's, yeah, it's very, yeah, it's very easy uh, for Don and I to have this conversation because we uh, are not under the gun and we don't run a companies with, you know, half a million employees around the planet. So it is easier, um, but it, it is, uh, it's something I think that, is going the problem is going to there's only going to be more data and more data and more data because that's what we're cr cranking out with all the algorithms and the and the machines and that I just think that huh what are we going to do when what is the future of that but anyway they'll figure out filters I guess or or maybe we'll become billionaires telling people how to uh, process and filter their data as communication experts you never know um one other thing well, I, I think want to add to you. Like, are you guys, yeah tell me to your point uh taking that coming up with a uh really spending time on what is the message of my presentation regardless of the amount of data um and that message being what do i want my audience to know and do like mm -hmm. figuring that out before you begin crafting it or pulling data and whatever you're about to put in your presentation comparing it against that statement and if it doesn't help that statement it's got to go mm -hmm. um and yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. All right. Well, before you go, I have to tell you, I mean, I have to not tell you, ask you, what is clown presence? Ah, clown presence. Yes, this is the, uh, I probably should have said this at the top. This is the, this is the elephant in the room uh, whenever I'm talking to people uh, about this stuff, because it is not the spooky white face, creepy Mm -hmm. floppy shoed scary hair uh uh Stephen King character that people immediately think of um it's more I mean and I should say that was initially developed to in Greek theater so people in the furthest parts of the stadium could see the emotions on the faces of the performers okay um, didn't know that but clown presence is in essence, like I said at the top, being willing to peel your attention off your presentation and also be listening and being affected by your audience and letting it affect you, having it be a two-way street. A lot of times, certainly in Toastmasters, I love Toastmasters. Mm -hmm, I competed mm -hmm. in Toastmasters championships a lot. Um, there's no, those people 
like you'll learn to deliver your presentation regardless of what is happening. You are like, you're boom, my hands go here at this point. My hands go here at this point. I look over here. <laughs> uh, whereas what I'm saying is that kind of presentation, I see that more as um, uh, rhetoric or oratory, like mm -hmm. of the days of Abraham Lincoln or <laughs> State of the Union addresses, which every word, every pause has been scripted very, very poetically. I think for most people in, in most situations in work, uh, it's shifting to more of a conversant model where you are being affected by your audience. You're being willing to sidetrack, acknowledge questions, pivot back to your presentation. Uh, and this old school model of crafting every little word is Ugh. maybe a little bit archaic for mm, what people so. are really dealing with. Yes, I always take white out to somebody's script. <laughs> At least let's get rid of 20% of the words to start with um, because it's too, it's either performance or, or robotic. I don't know. I like to, I encourage that level of preparation and where you just can talk, even if your voice is quavering. It's okay. It will relax. It will stop quavering once you get through it. Just tell them what you need to tell them. Why are you there? Why are you talking to them? Why do they? How can you help them? That's really what you're there for. Is all about helping your audience to do whatever it is you're supposed to help them do. That's that's all Absolutely. it is. It's not. It's not about you know getting an Academy Award for a performance. So we are running out of time. I have one question I want to ask you. And then I have some fast rapid fire questions to find out about Don Colliver, the person more than just I love the it. professional clown presentation uh, master. Um, so hybrid going back to work. What is it? RTO back to office. You know, there's a lot of nervousness in companies. There's a lot of layoffs um people there's a lot of anxiety but how can people you know that you're talking to today super smart highly conscientious high performers i don't think anybody listening here is um has serious career problems even if they do get cut out of one job they'll find another because they're just that good but how can how can they use the things that we've told, talked about and you've told them and I've told them to make 2023 a better year for them professionally or, you know, to make their work better for themselves and the people that they work with? What do you have to say on that? Well, I think presentation skills and more so confidence is a... Uh, absolute game changer certainly in interview skills in uh uh or when you're on a team if you're able to present confidently it's just it's a huge skill set that's going to set people above and beyond the rest and spending time intentional time on low stakes speaking situations and by that i mean um you know don't if you have one status report every two months, don't make that your only speaking time. 
Can you find other places like spiritual communities? Is there, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, hobby type situations? Find places to give a four or five minute talk uh, mm -hmm. where there's zero stakes. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. simply being in front of four people, 10 people is going to make you more confident, even in front of 60 people. Uh, right. And it's simply time. And that's a big thing I've found in my classes is simply making every, giving everyone the opportunity to speak in every class mm -hmm. for a short amount of time. Um, by the end of the six sessions, they're way more comfortable up mm -hmm. on stage. Uh, even if it's simply giving a report, like mm -hmm. of here's what we did today, uh, where they don't have any time to prepare. Uh, and another thing I find is, especially if folks are struggling um, with building this skill, consider at the outset requesting only positive feedback. Uh, I find that, especially with the folks I work with, they want to be like, give me the hard stuff. Just yeah. tell me what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, that's right. And that can shut people down and mm. it can make them more stiff. Their shoulders go up. Uh, the, in, in some Toastmasters meetings, uh, they have something called an awe counter where they count how mm -hmm. many times you mm -hmm. say filler words. Some meetings have a bell and they, ding, they hit the bell every time you say it. And like this, not helpful, not helpful <laughs> for me. <laughs> and, right. uh, but I do find that with practice, with positive feedback, a lot of those things like filler words start to dissipate on their own without somebody like pointing at it and while, without me focusing on it, it just kinds of goes away with confidence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. So be, it just, and, and you know, the, the thing about you people listening, when you speak confidently, that helps your audience to relax, whether it's your, the people that work for you or the chairman of the board or whoever, and a, and a relaxed audience is more receptive and every, everything is better if you're confident feeling. So it's a, it has totally. a full effect, right? That's a big thing in clown too, because clown, the basic structure of a clown bit is the clown comes out to perform something for the audience. They start, they fail at it. Mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. are vulnerable. They try again. They fail in a bigger, crazier way. Mm -hmm. uh, and if, but if the performer, if the clown performer doesn't seem adept, if it seems like a real accident happened, mm -hmm. oh, okay. the audience is very terrified. So you need to be able to screw up in a way that the audience is like, he knows what he's doing now. Right. I, I, I can relax. Like no one's going to get hurt. Um, <laughs> right. So, That's so that good. is really important. They want to know that they're in good hands. Okay. Well, now I have some questions for you. Quick questions. Short answer. Where did you go on your last vacation? I went to the Sierras and stayed in a farm. How was it? Uh, it was great. There was a hot tub and uh, <laughs> uh, my girlfriend and I, we set out at night and watched the stars. That sounds nice. It doesn't sound very farm-like to be in a hot tub, but I guess well, that's it's Airbnb <laughs> farm. It's not really farm. Okay. You're not milking cows. Okay. No. What's your favorite dessert? Oh, uh, pecan pie. Oh my gosh. Are you not Southern? Are you? I lived in New Orleans for a while. Okay. Well, then you picked up some of 
some culinary taste from that. That's a great dessert. Favorite store? Oh, geez. Uh, uh, Stayfway grocery store. <laughs> uh, okay. I go for a walk. I love going for walks, and that's where I go. Sorry, Laura. Not fun. <laughs> okay. What is a music um, genre that you like? Um, it's weird how music, how we ingest music has changed. You used to buy albums and stuff. Uh, now I just put a playlist on Spotify. I listen to indie pop to try and keep up with what the kids are listening to. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, I have kids to tell me what's, and oh, they always, yeah. what, no matter what I say or, or like, I am told that I am not with it and I am out of style and <laughs> you cannot say that mom, but anyway, that's, that's fine. Um, how would you describe your personal style? Um, comfortable comfortable all right and um were you afraid of anything as a child um uh loud noises okay and do you yeah. collect anything um i used to collect uh little statues of sailors <laughs> oh wow that's particular because I have a, a clown character that I call the captain and he mm -hmm. plays lounge music and he's dressed. He looks like the Gorton fisherman and he plays, he sings sexy songs about the sea. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, that's lovely. So <laughs> one year I, I told my family, I was like, you know what? You don't need really to buy me anything uh, particular. I'm going to just start collecting sea men statues like sea sailor <laughs> statues and i got so many i was like okay stop we don't need to do that anymore <laughs> very nice all right so everybody don's book is called wink which is a great title transform i think it's transforming public speaking with cl clown presence Right. which doesn't mean that you have to dress up like a clown. It just means you have to be yourself and relax and, um, you know, just help people, right? Anything yeah. else you want to say? And tell people how they can find you. Well, yeah, I wanted to offer a free thing for your <laughs> listeners too. Oh my gosh, uh, something free. I'm taking if, notes. What's, <laughs> what is it? If you go, I have an exercise uh, that you can work on this exact stuff we've been talking about, about mm -hmm. like starting to split your attention from your presentation with your audience. If you have like three or four people you can drill your presentation with, it's a great way to practice. Uh, you can get it at doncolliver.com forward slash engage. Ah, uh, love that. doncolliver.com backslash engage. Thank you so much. I appreciate the uh, generous offer. Uh, we love exercises. Uh, we can do them ourselves, practice with our teams. I think everybody that's a manager should also be a communication coach for the people who work with them because who better to see how someone can improve their business communication than the boss, right? Not that there's time for that. But anyway, thank you so much. And uh, audience, you are welcome. I know that you really enjoyed this and you can check out Don's book, Wink, and I will catch you on the next episode. Farewell for today. 